and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Happy almost fall, y'all. Happy almost fall. It's the start of our stagey spook series. May your apple pie scented candles be lit and your cup always filled with pumpkin spice. In fact, today we're going to chat all about everyone's favorite pumpkin queen. Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah, yeah. Our primary focus in this episode will be Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. But in particular, we'll focus on the 2013 Bean Broadway production. But don't you worry, we'll also cover the incredible Brandy version as well as Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. A young woman named Ella lives with her stepmother and stepsisters who treat her like a servant girl ever since the death of her late father. Because she sits by the fireplace and is dirty from the cinders, they call her Cinderella. However, in her own little corner, Ella dreams of a better life. When the town crier announces a royal ball at which the prince of the kingdom intends to find a bride, Cinderella wishes she could attend. While her stepsisters and stepmother go off to the ball, a fairy godmother appears and magically grants Cinderella's wish, warning her that while the magic is very powerful, it will all end at midnight. At the ball, Cinderella and the prince meet and he instantly falls in love with her vision to change the world they live in. But she abruptly excuses herself at midnight, leaving behind only a glass slipper on the palace steps. After an extensive search throughout the kingdom, the prince and Cinderella are magically reunited and blissfully married. Cinderella was written by the famous musical team of Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein. It was the only musical written exclusively for television by the partners. Once they had heard of the casting, they were eager to sign on to the projects with thoughts of having the chance to write for a sparkling new star named Julie Andrews, who had just triumphed in My Fair Lady. The Cinderella cast was quickly assembled with Howard Lindsay and his wife, Dorothy Stickney, signed on for The King and Queen, John Cipher as The Prince, the stepmother and stepsisters, who were made less frightening and more comic by Ilka Chase, Kay Ballard, and Alice Ghostly, and the beautiful Edie Adams played the godmother. Within eight months of writing, they had produced a musical version based on Charles Perrault's version of the well-known fairy tale. Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote ten songs, including Ten Minutes Ago, Stepsisters Lament, In My Own Little Corner, Do I Love You Because You're Beautiful, and When You're Driving Through the Moonlight. The show was broadcast live on CBS TV on Sunday, March 31, 1957, and was viewed by the largest television audience to date of over 100 million people. It was seen live and in color on the East Coast for those who had color televisions, and on the West Coast, a kinescope copy was broadcast three hours later. Rodgers and Hammerstein intended to present an expanded version of their musical on stage the following season, but that didn't happen. However, Cinderella did premiere at the London Coliseum by Harold Fielding on December 18, 1958, with other versions of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella playing theaters across America after 1961. CBS decided to produce another televised version, with Richard Rodgers as executive producer. Since the original had been performed live, it needed to be redone for the new broadcast. The new cast included the iconic Ginger Rogers, Walter Pidgeon, Celeste Holm, and Leslie Ann Warren. It premiered in February 1965 and was presented on CBS eight more times over the next nine years. This version followed the original score with the exception of an added song, Loneliness of Evening. 
which was originally written for South Pacific, but did not survive the final cut. I did not know that, but it makes sense based on the lyrics. The New York City Opera produced the musical in 1993, 1995, and 2004 with performers such as Eartha Kitt and Dick Van Patten. Yet another television remake of Cinderella made its broadcast premiere on ABC's The Wonderful World of Disney on November 2nd, 1997. Its dazzling star-studded cast included Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother, the sensational Brandy in the title role, Bernadette Peters as the wicked stepmother, Whoopi Goldberg as the queen, Victor Garber as the king, and Broadway's Paolo Montalban as the prince. The $12 million broadcast brought several songs new to Cinderella, including Rogers and Hart's Falling in Love with Love, The Sweetest Sounds, a number from Rogers' solo Broadway score, No Strings, sung here by Cinderella and the Prince, The Prince is Giving a Ball, There's Music in You, written by Rogers and Hammerstein for the 1953 film Main Street to Broadway, sung as the fairy tale's finale by fairy godmother Whitney Houston. Wouldn't everyone want Whitney Houston as their fairy godmother? I mean, come on. Come on. (laughs) Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella had huge success as a touring production around the United States in the early 2000s as well as within Japan. However, if you've been keeping track, then you know at this point Broadway had yet to stage a production of the famous fairy tale. Enter Douglas Carter Bean, most famously known for writing the book to Xanadu, who began writing a new book for the first Broadway adaptation. In his plot, Cinderella opens Prince Topher's eyes to the injustice within the kingdom. The prince's parents have died, leaving the kingdom in the hands of a villainous minister who has been the prince's mentor and has duped his young charge into approving oppressive legislation. Rebel Jean-Michel, a new character, and stepsister Gabrielle are in love and seek to overthrow the government. This version of the show brings light to what matters most in life, kindness. The score includes the best-known songs from the original version and four more songs from the Rodgers and Hammerstein catalog. The show began previews on Broadway on January 25th, 2013 and officially opened on March 3rd, 2013 at the Broadway Theater. The cast included Laura Osnes in the title role, Santino Fontana as the prince, Victoria Clark as Crazy Marie slash the fairy godmother, Harriet Harris as Ella's stepmother, Peter Bartlett as the prime minister, Anne Harada and Marla Mandel as stepsisters Charlotte and Gabrielle, and Greg Hildreth as Jean-Michel. As most shows often do, Cinderella went down a road of stunt casting. In doing so, they cast Call Me Maybe singer Carly Rae Jepsen as Cinderella and everyone's favorite nanny, Van Drescher, as the stepmother. The incredible Kiki Palmer was also a replacement in the title role. The production closed on Broadway on January 3rd, 2015, after 41 previews and 770 regular performances. After many years of waiting, a production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella is set to open in Manchester, England at the Hope Mill Theatre beginning November 1st, 2022. Now, there have been many adaptations of Cinderella, but the most recent to make a splash in the theater circles has been the infamous Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. While still pulling inspiration from the origin story and practically sampling in my own little corner in the score's popular Bad Cinderella, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella began previews at 50% capacity on June 25, 2021 at the Gillian Lynn Theatre in London's West End after being postponed for a year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
The production was scheduled to open on July 20th, 2021, but on July 18th, a cast member tested positive for COVID-19 and performances were suspended and the official opening was then postponed again. Performances resumed with an official opening on August 18th, 2021. The show received mixed reviews, with most praising the lead Carrie Hope Fletcher's performance. The show continued through the fall of 2021 and winter of 2022. It came as a surprise on May 1st, 2022, when members of the cast and crew took to social media to speak out about not being informed of the show's closure before it was publicly announced, leading to criticism and protests. The production closed on June 12th, 2022, after a 12-month run, with a speech being made on behalf of Andrew Lloyd Webber causing further outrage on social media, as he referred to the show as a costly mistake. Was Andrew Lloyd Webber's production of Cinderella actually a costly mistake? Perhaps. But not for any reason besides being opened prematurely during the heat of the pandemic. It's a costly show in general, with special rotating seats in the audience built specifically for this production. This has also been the case for many of the shows opened during the era of COVID-19. It poses the question of, did the theatre world need another Cinderella right now? I guess we'll find out if it was just a poorly timed opening or if the topic is dried up when Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella opens on Broadway next year. I love the 2013 Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella so much. (laughs) I'll tell you how much I love it. I love it so much that I had a betta fish named Herman Mm -hmm. for three years. My little bub. (laughs) Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Herm. He was the best. But Beta Fish aside, I've always loved Cinderella. She's always been my favorite. I've always just loved um, her message of kind of like mm. being kind and like waiting your turn and like things will happen for you. So essentially, any adaptation of Cinderella, I am there for 100%. But I loved the depth added Mm. to the 2013 production. I feel like I talk all the time about this. Like if you're going to revive a musical, you need to Mm -hmm. do something different and you need to make it better and you need to, it needs to be an elevated version of what came before it. And this is a beautiful example. I mean, technically it wasn't a revival because uh, the original Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella was made for TV, Mm -hmm. but a reimagined. It was a reimagined. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And it brought it to the Broadway stage, making it modern. Right. And really kind of taking what people criticize most about the fairy tale, which people who criticize Cinderella for just, you know, being rescued by a man obviously did not pay attention mm-hmm. during the story. Because she just wanted to go to the ball. She wanted a night off of chores, really. And the prince was kind of a bonus. The prince was the universe saying, you are a good person here. Have this (laughs) rich man. Um, And she's like, okay. Um, But I love the 2013 one because it really actually gave them time to at least know each other a little bit. Or to... Spark a connection based on something more than like one or two dances. You really Mm -hmm. get to see the depth of it. And it kind of gave a little modern message about how sometimes government leaders can be blind. And, you know, you have this girl who's a princess and she's the hero of her story. But she goes on to become the hero of her kingdom as well. 
And I think that's awesome. Like, that's the kind of show I would want to take, like, my daughter to if I had one. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I just to add on what you've said, I love how modernized the script was as well. I don't like Cinderella. And I've I think I've Get mentioned out of here. that on the podcast before. I'm pretty Friendship sure. Friendship and podcast over. <laughs> I've just never, I never um, took to that story growing up. I don't know why. I loved the princesses, the Disney princesses. Um, that film was never my thing. I don't know. Anyways, but Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella has such a special place in my heart, just like you. Um like it, it just never fails to make me cry or feel hopeful for a better world or even a better future uh, uh, for myself, you know, because it, it is such a story of you make your own future. And I think mm-hmm. that's so special, especially for a young woman to be watching on stage. I think that's powerful. And like you, I love that the 2013 version uh, actually reach deeper than just the surface storyline of like girl meets prince prince falls in love with girl prince loses girl prince finds girl happily ever after like the entire plot circled around creating a better world for everyone involved in the kingdom they made ella headstrong and this is a spoiler but i appreciate the glass slipper change in the storyline i thought that was <laughs> so clever i remember at the end of act one i was like <gasps> the little girl in front of me she was like what is she gonna do now she kept the slipper and i was like <laughs> girl i don't know i also don't know what she's gonna do <laughs> i just thought that was so smart and then you have the beautiful the beautiful scene where she does give him her slipper, but intentionally. Yeah, like she's choosing her own destiny. Yes. She's going, yes, come find, find me. me. Instead of like, oh, you stalked me through the whole kingdom because right? you want to marry me. Mm-hmm. No, she was like, if I leave him my shoe, he'll find me. Like, yes. I love that that's a choice that she makes. It's so good. Yeah, I just, the modernization was beautiful. Well, it still kept... That fairy tale esque that still felt classic Cinderella. Yep. And I also really appreciated that. Um, I love the ending with the clock striking midnight and she turns to the audience and says, I'm good. I just, <laughs> oh! It was, it's all brilliant. My dad took me and my grandma to see Cinderella when it came on oh. tour for the 2013 production. Right. And I was literally so excited because obviously I watched the vlogs and like bootlegs and everything like I was ready. And, you know, musical theater is totally not my dad's forte, but he wanted to come with us. So he came. And to this day, this was like, what, 2015? Yeah, 2016. 2016. 2016. Yeah. And to this day, he talks about the two costume changes. (laughs) Like, in awe. It's, I think it's the coolest thing. Like, the first one, he was like, okay, I, it was cool, but I figured out how, how they did that. But when they did the second one, which, spoiler alert, when the dress goes up the chimney. Yes. Yeah. My dad, in the middle of, like, a quiet theater, he was like, what? How'd they do that? <laughs> And, you know, that's kind of the kind of fairy tale magic that this show brings. Yes. Like through the technical aspects of theater. And I think it really needs to be applauded for that. Mm. Because 
even when you walk in, like our seats were up in like the balcony. When you walk in, like the way that the theater is kind of set up, it just, yeah. well, the Mervish theaters are gorgeous. It always feels like a fairy tale. But just the set, like you really do feel like you're stepping into like this beautiful watercolor storybook. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. part of the Cinderella experience as well. I think that show translated so well on tour as well, because mm-hmm. I saw both the Broadway production with the original cast and then the same tour that you saw, the 2016 tour, uh, non-equity tour, right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Pretty sure it was non-equity because they had an equity tour that happened the year before. Okay, because yeah. they played at... They played at the Ed Mervish, which you can't play at unless it's equity approved. Hmm. Because of the house level. Weird. I don't know. We'll have to look look into that. But I remember because it was supposed to be Audrey Cardwell and Andy Jones. And I was like, I got to see him. I got to see him. Mm. And I had had understudies. And I loved the understudies. Okay, we saw two different tours. That's why. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay, Yeah. We definitely saw two different tours. That's funny. That's strange. Okay, yeah. we have to look into that and we'll let you guys so know. so weird because I had this prince who looked identical to Jeremy Jordan that I had to send my friend a photo at Curtain Call. I was like, can you believe this isn't Jeremy Jordan? And anyone who saw that tour, tell me I am wrong because I watched the whole show like, wow, Jeremy Jordan is a prince. This is wonderful. I mean, Jeremy Jordan <laughs> is a prince. It's true. But getting back to the the tour versus Broadway, the stage, I mean, they kept just about every single element and it traveled perfectly. Of course, you know, you lost a bit of height on the staircase. And I don't think Marie flew on tour. Um, I don't I think she remember. Did. I think she did because I remember did going, she? oh, girl, you're flying. Yeah. Weird. I think she did. We we had two different tours because I don't think she flew on ours due to it might be like I know um other productions this has happened, like in American Idiot. Yeah, uh, some theaters are some, set up for flies and some aren't. Exactly. So maybe that was the problem. Anyways, I just think it it translated so well on tour with the set and the costumes and every element was there and that is what I love so much about getting to see a touring production if uh Broadway isn't as accessible to you and and I mean touring productions aren't always accessible either they are so expensive just they're getting wildly expensive they are especially post-covid yeah we won't tell you uh the price we just dropped for a back row seat to a show but (laughs) (laughs) but we're we were yeah (laughs) you know it's hard because you know I'm totally taking a tangent, but it's hard because people like us, you know, when theater has been closed for a while, like we want to go, we want to support, we want to see exactly. those tours we've been waiting for. But it's like those prices. Yeah, I yep. get it. We're all trying to recoup, but it's like individual people are trying to recoup, too. We're in a recession. Moving on. I do have to say, because we're talking about Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, mm. that Rogers and Hammerstein are kind of my favorite composers. They're brilliant. I think, like, ever. Mm-hmm. And I just, I absolutely adore their music. And I love how they create a score. I know that this one, they kind of pulled pieces from, like, other shows and right. other songs that maybe weren't used and added them in. But I also love that about their music is that it's so theirs mm. that it 
fits with the yeah. other songs, even if it wasn't meant for a certain show. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think that music is absolutely gorgeous. And especially it's when it's orchestrated the way it is in, well, I mean, all of their stuff is big orchestra because that's just the era. But mm. I think it's probably like the most beautiful thing to listen to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella? Have you had a chance to like listen to the album and watch stuff on YouTube of the show? Um, it didn't really do anything for me mm. from what I've seen online. Right. Because for me, Cinderella is something that's done so often. Yes. If you're going to do it, it needs to be like really, really good. And now... Yeah. I enjoy Andrew Lloyd Webber's work. Like, Joseph is one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. <laughs> um, but this just didn't do it for me. Yeah. At all. And I hate the fact that they have seats that move because I'm the kind of person who would absolutely vomit everywhere. I think it's just the first three or so rows uh, in the orchestra. I don't really understand the concept or why it was needed, to be fair. Of course, I didn't sit in the seats or see the show live. <laughs> so maybe it's an amazing experience. But from the clip that the theater posted of the seats moving, um, that to me was the costly mistake that Andrew Lloyd Webber referenced because it wasn't needed. You know, I yeah. think the show itself... I think it's a fun show if that's what you're going to see. I I liked some of the songs in it. I think it's a long score. Um an I unnecessary also... long score. It's too long for me to sit through and I think the songs are so repetitive. Um yeah, like to me it's yeah. like maybe the songs would be better in the context of the show. Mm -hmm. But the thing is I'm going to use Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella to compare sure. it to, which we shouldn't compare things. But in this case, you do Cinderella, you're automatically opening yourself yeah. up to a world of comparison. So mm -hmm. it's fair game, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> the Rodgers and Hammerstein score for Cinderella, you can sit and you can listen to from start to finish. And you can just enjoy it. You can enjoy the soundscape. Absolutely no desire to do that with this one. Maybe it's better within the context of the show. Um, obviously, I haven't been. Um, and here's the thing, like you, y'all can correct me if I am wrong on this, but isn't the whole thing that like, she's an outcast cause she's ugly. Yeah. So she, she's an outcast because she's different, but I do think they reference her as being unattractive and, uh, for lack of a better term, ugly. Um, and they are meant to be the beautiful people of Belleville. Like, they're all gorgeous and perfect. And she's the outcast who doesn't look like them. It's very odd. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, and I feel like you have a story, like Cinderella, it's a story of female empowerment. I right. don't think you need to bring um, looks and attractiveness into it. Which I was going to say, well, it's written by a man, but so have most adaptations of right. Cinderella. They've right. managed to kind of... I liked that in the Rodgers and Hammerstein one, it wasn't like the ugly stepsisters. It was like the evil stepsister. Like, 
or the evil stepsisters. It was just totally. like the stepsisters. They're not great, but we're not going to call them ugly or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, which I think, yeah, like, I don't know. That just that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like she can be different for other reasons, but we don't have to be like she's not attractive. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I don't. I don't Again, know I haven't the, seen show, the show like a hundred percent to say, oh, here's what's going on. Um, I believe spoilers that she's this like rebel type. She has a stepmother and two beautiful stepsisters and they go to this ball and she falls in love with a prince who I believe he ends up um, telling her like I'm actually gay or something like that. Okay, fair it's, enough. It, it's a cool. very interesting twist, and I do really like that about the show. And he has, a, I think he has a boyfriend in the show or something. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, okay. very, it's very different. It's very modern as well. Um, completely different from the 2013 Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Like, we had just given you a whole rundown of how that <laughs> one's fairytale-esque. This is super different. This is, like, modern to the max. Um, but then... Here's my here's my question, Chrissy. Sure. Million dollar question. Oh no. Did this modern fairy tale need to be a Cinderella adaptation? No, absolutely not. Could it have stood on its own as a modern fairy tale? And would um, it have been more successful if it had? That's a very good question. See, my thing is I don't think and forgive me for saying this, I don't think the show itself musically lyric wise script wise from what i've seen is like enough to have a pull without the cinderella title which is also its downfall see because i was wondering if it would be the opposite would it have done better had people gone in Mm. without having hundreds of years of cinderella to compare it to totally think maybe but I think they would have left more um, like, eh, this is blah, possibly. I think the Cinderella element adds a little bit of something to it. Um, I don't know. I think you could you would have a totally different show. That's my answer. You couldn't even really find a true answer to this because you'd be missing a lot of the actual show of like, the ball and the whole this and that. I think there's also a fairy godmother esque type of character in this as well. Um, it it's still very Cinderella, but not. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm just. I don't need like a yeah. solid yes or no answer. I'm just posing some critical thinking questions. It's a very but good question. At the end of the day, for all my critique, I will say, had I been in London while it was running. I would have bought a ticket to see Me it. Me too. See what, like, so as much as I'm being critical from what I have seen. But wait, I you still know why have, I would have bought a ticket? Why? For those rotating front row seats. I am a sucker for those things. And they were very, very wise, even though I think, you know, a costly mistake in the production team for putting these seats in. Although that probably sold a fair amount of their tickets. People wanting to experience what is that? I don't know. I could be wrong. I will say, though, Carrie Hope Fletcher, this was her role, man. She mm-hmm. she killed it in this. I, I've loved everything I've seen of her in this show. The cast themselves are phenomenal. Shout out to Giovanni Spano. <laughs> um, 
friend of the podcast and of us. What do you think about this going to Broadway next? Because I, I think this is too soon for another Cinderella uh, adaptation. We, it feels like we are still hot on the 2013 version. We still remember it. Um, and, and these are, you can't really compare it like we've said. They're so different, but you will compare it under the title. It's still, I think they should change the title maybe to Bad Cinderella or something. Naughty Cinderella. I don't know. But something to make it different from just putting the composer's name in front of it. Because we yeah. have that already. Because the amount of people who hear the name Cinderella, like you hear Cinderella you're automatically going to compare it to 2013, made for TV, Mm -hmm. 1997, even the Disney adaptation. Absolutely. Right? Your brain just automatically goes there because I know we like to talk about not comparing things or pitting things against each other. But when it comes to something like when you're marketing a show, you see the title Cinderella automatically, that starts. Same, it's like I said, I think for Funny Girl with Fanny Bryce. Mm Mm-hmm. You say Fanny Bryce, people think Barbara Streisand, right? Like, sure. Yeah. It automatically just kind of pops up into everyone's brain because it's something that's so well known. Yeah. I personally think that there are more stories we can tell on Broadway at this time in this mm-hmm. place than another retelling of Cinderella. Totally. Um, I also don't think anyone will be in a huge rush to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber after everything no. that I've heard happened on that production. So I'm, yeah. I'm hoping if the Broadway community is moving forward with like goodness and kindness and equity and all that sort of stuff, I'm kind of hoping that a transfer isn't really going to go through from someone who has kind of been brutal to the people working for them. Allegedly. I say allegedly because I don't know I wasn't there, but Mm -hmm. we've all read about it. We all know. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's also enough um, proof of on the opening night, he made a kind of like a conspiracy joke about covid. He's he said some things that have been on video. So there's enough to say like, oh, that was kind of shitty of you. And it was shitty. That being said, I don't know how much the Broadway community themselves gives a shit yeah like I find like we give a shit about what happened because we love the West End um and we really stay connected to that news uh, even more than Broadway I'd say we really like the West End um yeah so we're big like what the hell did you do type of thing like that is so rude um I don't know if Broadway would be like oh, but do you remember what happened over the West End with what he said? You know, when the time comes, because that'll be like maybe next summer, maybe a year from now that will be on Broadway. If it even happens, I can't really see it fully happening. And I think if it did happen, they would have to change a lot of the book. It's a very British book. It's a very British. There's a lot of British references in lyrics, even that song itself, Bad Cinderella. It's a lot of terms that we don't use in America or Canada, um, which is kind of the appeal to me. It's kind of why I like that song. (laughs) I like that. Um, I don't know how much that would do well on Broadway with those lyrics being so British. Um, And I just, I don't, 
know if anyone's really going to be like, oh, I have to see the new Angelaide Weber show or like if they do bring Carrie Hope Fletcher with them. I'm not sure if she's going to be like the big ticket sale on Broadway, whereas I could see she totally would be in the West End. Like we already know. Yeah. I feel like she has a wide enough Internet. She does. That I feel like. Yes, in the Broadway community, there would be like a certain age range of people who definitely would yeah. buy just to see her. But I don't know if it's big enough to have an adequate revenue. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I think a big reason of the show, and I say this with all due respect because I think we see so many shows open and close, right? And a lot of them don't get 12 months playing somewhere. And luckily this show did they did a year on uh the west in the west end i think a lot of that has to do with carrie hope fletcher being so well known so talented and uh i i don't know if it would have been in the west end for as long as it did stay there you know what i mean yeah i think it probably would have had a shorter run had they not had carrie hope fletcher in the title role I don't know. It's all very confusing. Theater is very confusing when you're trying to break it down into like, oh, would it have worked this way instead? Would it have been better that way? It's yeah, it's fascinating. But it's a show that made me surprised. It surprised that it stayed for twelve months. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, because we see shows on Broadway that are like. I mean, look at something like The Bridges of Madison County. Ugh. Popular movie, Jason Robert Brown. Um, closed in what? Three months? Four months? You know? So it's like, we're used to seeing that. I don't Which, think it's considering as used to on the West End. That is probably one of the top 10 best scores of the last 20 years on Broadway. Yes, absolutely. Hands but that was down. Only, that was only discovered truly by fans like, within a year or two after the show already closed. So maybe it'll be like that for this show as well. I don't know. I do love the song. Um, I know I have a heart or something. I think that's the title of it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it does. It makes me think of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> me too. But then again, look who wrote it. Uh, well, yeah, uh, the composer. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think as we wrap up, I do want to say y'all know we are your positivity queens. Uh, We like to support everything that's going on in the industry. But I know Mm -hmm. that we also try to express our opinions in a concise and clear way. And a lot of the time we're really just kind of analyzing it as best we can. So if you love Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella, I love that for you. And I feel like maybe given the chance to see it in person, we might feel differently. Um, But yeah, as of right now, it's kind of not our thing. But if you did see it and enjoyed it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Same with any version of Cinderella, which you can drop in the comments on the Instagram post and we'll chat about it. Yeah, it also it very much feels like the Halloween version of Cinderella, which, as you know, I am so here for that. So you never know. Maybe we get the chance to see it on Broadway. We might think differently. We might think differently. And that's we the might best, eat our words. That's we might the eat best our glass part slipper. About loving theater is that you can change your mind. So to close this episode, we would love to know what is your favorite stage adaptation of Cinderella? Leave us a comment. We want to know. 
Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, check out our Kickstarter linked in our bio to support podcast funding and grab an awesome theater reward. This Kickstarter and these rewards are only available through October, so now is the time to kind of jump on that train. Uh, If you're not in a place to donate right now, even just sharing the link to the Kickstarter is so, so helpful for us. As always, we appreciate your love, support through everything social media likes listens all that stuff so thank you for being awesome thank you friends as always i'm chris and i'm jocelyn together we are breaking Breaking the the curtain curtain. and this was our first episode in our two spooky months um happy september happy back to school good luck yes and we'll see you next time